What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience, the podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery, and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson. And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor at Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us, and let's jump right in. All right, guys, welcome back to the Elevate Experience podcast. Today, we sit down with Ariel Diamond. She's a certified professional recovery coach and life coach whose mission is to help people struggling with alcohol learn powerful strategies to build a vibrant alcohol-free life. Ariel is extremely passionate about sobriety because she herself lived under the dark cloud of abusing alcohol for 10 years. Her belief is alcohol-free living isn't just about quitting harmful behaviors, it's about living our best lives. She is also the founder of My Sober Compass as well as the head coach at Arlie. You can follow her on Instagram at her name, Ariel Diamond, or My Sober Compass. She posts amazing content about sobriety, content about being what they call sober curious and i really think she knows how to connect with people and share from a place where people can relate you guys are going to love this podcast and don't forget to follow her check her out especially check out the arlie app i think you guys will dig it we're hopping in hey everyone welcome back to the show today we have a very special guest ariel diment and we are very excited to have you. Thank you for coming on to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Angie and Dallas. I'm really glad to be here. Of course, yeah, we're super excited too. We can't wait to get into your story. We were kind of talking earlier on the air how interested I was in your story and how much I think there is to take away from it. And I think our audience knows we generally start with kind of like our addiction story and it almost like builds a, a authority or it just it creates a rapport of like we're all in this together and addiction affects all of us, you know. Um, so I thought that would be like a beautiful place to start with you, Ariel, is kind of like how you got to where you were as far as what you're doing now, which I won't spoil. But we will get into that. And so I thought, yeah, we would just kind of segue with your life story, you know, which is never an easy thing to do. But. I think there's a lot to learn from it. Absolutely. I'm I'm very excited to share my story with you all today. There's a lot of moving parts to it as all of our stories have. Um, but I'll start very briefly at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in North of Virginia, so outside of Washington, DC. And I grew up kind of a nerdy kid. Like I had short hair, big thick glasses, braces, and I always felt a little bit out of place, a little bit like I didn't belong. Um, and so what I did from a very young age is I tried to excel at things that I could. So playing sports, you know, baseball, soccer, softball, I played every kind of sport out there. I also tried to excel in school as best as I could. And I found a lot of my value that way. Um, and when I was 13 years old, like a lot of listeners, I'm sure, my parents went through a divorce and that really threw me for a loop. I started getting really confused about just family life in general. Mm -hmm. um, I felt a little bit abandoned, you know, things like that. And as I grew into my teenage years, I got pretty angry at life, pretty disconnected from myself. And that's when the first little bit of addiction started to creep in. 
and that looked like eating disorder. I remember walking up to my fridge and thinking, I'm not gonna eat today. And I walked away and that pattern started uh, and I started to drop weight. I sorted that out. You know, I went back to eating. Um, I, I did go to counseling at school. Nice. And I moved forward with my life. And so with the schooling and trying my best, I got into Villanova University in, in Philadelphia. Wow. Went up there and I hadn't drank up to that point. I was really proud of myself. Yeah. I had gone to lots of high school parties, but wow. there was a message that my parents had told me of don't start drinking. It's not good for you. You don't want to go down that road, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's my, awesome. I, yeah, like I was kind of scared of alcohol, to be quite honest with you. So moving into Villanova, I had a lot of social anxiety, like, you know, flying the nest, trying something different, being away from home. But I was also very excited. And I remember going out to the van. I was the oldest of four kids. I am the oldest of four kids. And watching you know my parents get into the van and drive away with my siblings i went back upstairs and looked in my dorm room and thought okay what now and immediately this person was like why don't you come up to the boys floor and have a drink <laughs> so so i marched up there and i did and i remember every person in that room what they were wearing what the drink was it was a little airplane bottle of whiskey <clears throat> As and your first I drink. poured it down my throat. Yeah, ew. And loved it. It was magical for me in that moment. I thought, wow, I have been missing out my entire life and this is it. This is what I need every single day moving forward. No <laughs> idea where this would take me in just a few years, but I think that there was a lot of expectation in going to university that we should drink. This is yeah. the culture. This is what you do. Yeah. So course. I did. I got very good at drinking very quickly. I joined a sorority. I surrounded myself with amazing human beings, but also human beings that love to drink just as much as I did. So partying on the weekends very quickly became partying as much as possible. Um, I remember, you know, I had this ritual with one of my friends where the first of the month, we would always go to the wine store, pick up those huge growlers of wine and bring them bring them back to our, our place and go buy lotto scratch tickets and sit there and just have fun. And it just really seeped into every part of my life. So alcohol became my number one. And I thought, yeah, I'll just handle this when I graduate, it'll stop. Like, I'll reel it in. Well, well that's, that's the rule, right? You can't become an alcoholic uh, as long as you quit after college. That's that's what totally. I've been told recently. Yeah, that's that's the, that's what they tell each other. It is the thing. It's their pact. It is. It is. It was, and you know what? It was a very kind of secret pact with myself too. At the same time, because I would look around and wonder, oh, are are people liking this as much as I am? But I, I wouldn't really <laughs> ask. Um, so dollar drink night, my favorite thing. You know, I tried. I did everything that I could that revolved around drinking. Graduation came and most of my friends got jobs up in New York City. Like they usually went down the finance business route and I went down the marketing route. And they all seemed pretty set up for the next part of their life. And I was getting more and more anxious as graduation approached because I knew that I was staring at going back to live in my parents' house with no job. It was 2009, the financial crisis had just hit. Like it was yeah. not a great time to graduate. 
So what I did during graduation was um, under my gown, I stuffed a couple of champagne bottles and drank throughout the entire graduation ceremony. And my family was sitting in the stands and I did not know this, but my mom had a long lens camera. And she oh. was taking pictures of me. And we were there for hours. So by the time the graduation ceremony ended, I was pretty lit. And uh, it was the first time where my family had actually got to see, got to see me in the reality of how I had been living. And they, you know, called me out on it lovingly said, mm -hmm. hey, what's going on with you? Like you're, you're drinking quite a bit. This isn't normal to see someone um, take two or three bottles to the face during a <laughs> couple hour event. <laughs> and that was when I started to feel shame about what was happening. And I had made that decision to start to separate and myself into two parts. So I wanted to be a very successful individual and have it all together on one side. But I also knew that I wanted to keep drinking and keep that party lifestyle going. So it was almost like this Jekyll Hyde situation. Mm -hmm. So I went home and, you know, did what every person is told to do. Once you graduate university, you got to get a nine to five Monday to Friday job. I did that. I sat at my desk that first day. I worked for a very small advertising agency. I remember sitting down and thinking, I just worked so hard to sit at a desk for the rest of my <laughs> life. And it freaked me out. Like my anxiety went up. I knew that I didn't want to do that forever, but I didn't know what else was out there. So I started looking for other work and I got involved with a couple of startups in, in DC. So my commute became long, you know, driving to the Metro, riding the Metro, getting off, walking to where I worked. It was a kind of an arduous routine, um, but the startup was great. The one that I worked at had a ball pit. They had a beer cart that went around every day. They had a company happy hours that they would pay for. And I was making a really good salary. I thought, okay, well, this is great. You know, I looked around, people are doing this for 10, 20 years. I'm like, I, I'll just do this the rest of my life. <laughs> this works. This works, right? Like, I mean, the beer cart was just so amazing to me, right? Yeah, that's a big yeah. perk. Yeah, it takes it, it makes the nine to five a lot more fun. Yeah, and it would start rolling around at like three o'clock, okay? So, and when people weren't looking, I was actually taking beer from the cart and stuffing it into the drawer underneath my desk, which yeah. again, probably not a good sign, probably a red flag that something else is going on here, but I did it anyway. And as I was going through this job, I felt more and more uh, unhappiness creep mm -hmm. in. Like I was really starting to get unsettled and irritable with the direction that my life was going, even though on the surface I had it all together, right? Like I had the apartment, I had money coming in, I had friends, but I was slowly declining. And I decided that I was declining because of the type of work that I was in very easy to blame oh yeah that. wasn't us it's the job Was, no yeah it's not me it's yeah. them <laughs> it must so be I them so i blamed it on cold calling because that's what i was doing and so i went in one week and they track your cold calls right so my boss pulled me in and he's like you need to come in my office and we need to have a chat it's like you have made one cold call in five days <laughs> what is going on and I said, I'm just not built for this. Like I quit. I'm sorry. I'm just not, I'm not happy here. 
So I quit. I walked out. I felt free. I felt like, oh, this is going to be my fresh start. And I went with my boyfriend at the time to Europe for three months. And we nice. traveled around Europe. Yep. Did the whole backpacking thing, the whole experience, hostels, hotels. It was a lot of fun. Um, but it was a lot of chaos, too, mm -hmm. because what I brought with me to Europe was myself. <laughs> should have left her and, back home. <laughs> yeah, I should have left. I, you know, I would have had a great trip if I would have left myself back home. But yeah. there I was. <laughs> and my drinking problem followed. And he didn't have a drinking problem. So I couldn't really blame it on him. Right, um, right. <laughs> so I thought, you know, this is my this is my fresh start. I'm going to go back to D.C. and I'm going to switch my whole career. So I did. I came back after a couple of months, started over, went back to school. I went to George Washington University to get my event planning certificate. And I started working for really high profile event planners in the D.C. area, weddings, conferences, events, meetings. And nice. I, I could make my own schedule. Perfect. So, yeah, perfect. Right. So I left the <laughs> nine to five world. Now I'm starting to be an entrepreneur. But what was happening was on my days off and sometimes it was four days at a time was I was drinking nonstop. So I'd go on these binges. And then I'd sober up for the event and then I'd go back into the binge. Then I started to blame that on the schedule. So I thought, okay, yeah, it's a schedule. I've got to work full time again, but I want to merge event planning with my with this new schedule. So I got a job at a really uh, great company, technology company planning international events. And at this point, my drinking started to seep into my work days as well, but I was, I tried my very best. So I, I started to pop Adderall to mm. help to manage this too because yeah you know i'd wake up hungover but if i had adderall and i didn't abuse the adderall but i was taking it i if i took it first thing in the morning i felt like oh i can still function throughout my day right gonna yeah. be okay <laughs> life hack yeah life hack except it was not the best life hack right because, yeah <laughs> oh my gosh i felt even sicker and sicker as the year went on um, I was in and out of airports. I was probably going to Europe twice a month. I had such an amazing team around me, but I was hiding everything that was happening in terms of drinking. And so I couldn't maintain this for more than a year and a half. It was a year and a half in and things started to feel so dark for me. I had broken up. I had ended my relationship. Um, I had you know, tried to get to stop drinking on my own for a couple of months. And I went into this period I like to call white knuckling, which I'm sure yeah. you're all familiar with. Oh, yeah. You know, waking up one day, pouring out my booze. I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. But I did everything else the same. I still went to bars with my friends, except I drank O'Doul's. I still went to parties all the time, except I drank fake champagne. I still, you know, tried to maintain appearances for that sake of just trying to be somebody that I, I wasn't really. And that didn't work for very long <laughs> at all. That's hard. That's hard to put yourself in that same environment and expect to stay sober and be happy about it if you haven't done any kind of treatment. Yeah, I just didn't really understand this concept of 
I needed deeper help than just willpower yeah. mm -hmm. because I was stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to tell people I had a problem because what if they had come back and said, Ariel, you can never drink again. Like that was probably the scariest thing. I wanted to do this on my own, figure it out my own way and not let anybody in. And that was ultimately the downfall that I had because the days went on, the darker I felt inside, and I started to feel so depressed that suicide started to become an option for me. Even though I knew that I didn't want to die, I just felt so much pain on yeah. the inside that, you know, it's just, it sounded I, rather less, than telling yeah. somebody I need help. Sorry, go ahead, Dallas. It, it, it just sounded like more painful to live the way you were living. That's what it sounded like, right? Like, it's just this, the life we're living is so painful that not living it almost sounds great. Yep, exactly. I get that. And that little part of me, though, didn't want to die. And I knew that. So, you know, I went back to drinking. I drank more than I ever had before. I was just trying to maintain with a couple of bottles of wine a day just to function, which a lot of people... You know, you can call this whatever you want. I don't, I'm not really big on any sort of certain label. Yeah. I was a problem drinker. I was a closet alcoholic. I was a functioning alcoholic. I was a binge drinker. Like all of those things, I really fell under all these different categories. And it wasn't until, you know, that suicide became an option that I realized, okay, I, I might have to talk to somebody about help. Mm-hmm. So there was this one weekend, it was July, 2015. I went out with my friends day drinking because I love to day drink and I was really the <laughs> rallier around this. One of your better qualities. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. I mean, I must have been so annoying to my friends back then. Like, I am sorry if you hung out with me back then <laughs> because all I wanted to do was get drunk. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I went out for the weekend and I don't remember that weekend at all. Like woke up face down on my living room floor in a pile of hurt trying to find my wallet trying to find my phone and at that point luckily a family member came over and asked me like what's going on and i said i need help like i can't do this anymore because in that in those moments i really felt like i couldn't do it anymore if my yeah. life was going to continue like this i just would rather be dead so went to a psychologist who I had been seeing for a while. She sat me down and she said, she looked me in the eye. She was sitting knee to knee with me. And she's like, you need to actually tell me how much you're drinking now because I know you've been lying to me. And I did. And that was such a turning point for me because I had been so secretive about what had been going on. Um, you know, taking my wine bottles out, my empty ones in the middle of the night to lying to people about where I was during the day. like. Everything was a secret at that point. So when I told her, her face dropped, which <laughs> freaked me out because I thought, oh my gosh, there's something really wrong with me. And she just said in the most caring way, you need to go to treatment. Yeah. And I didn't even know <laughs> what that meant. Like, you're going to send me somewhere? Where? <laughs> so... She said, yeah, you need to get treatment. You need help with your anxiety, your depression, uh, your drinking, and you need it to go now because you're not gonna last much longer if you continue down this path. 
So I went home and I started looking at places. I knew that I wanted to go to a holistic treatment center rather than a 12 step based treatment center. That just was something that I had thought about. And I wanted to go somewhere very far away that was tucked away that I didn't have to tell people where I was going or what I was doing. I just wanted to go. So I found a treatment center in Canada <laughs> in the mountains far as possible where, you know, confidentiality, they said, yep, you don't have to tell a soul that you're coming here. It's fine. So I went up there. I thought I'm going to do the 30 day spin cycle and come out. I'll be, I'll be good after that. Ride some and horses. When I got there, yeah. They had horses on their website. They had <laughs> a massage therapist. Like I was like, okay, this looks more like a, a, a retreat, like a, like vacation. a spa retreat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when I got there, I walked in, looked around and I completely shut down emotionally. Like I was like a stone cold Steve Austin at this point. Like, don't talk to me. I don't know who you are. I don't know where I am. I don't know why I'm here. Mm -hmm. And it took me about two weeks to start to actually talk about why I was there. Yeah. And you know, in a group setting, people make judgments on you. So immediately people were like, oh, Ariel's a snob. She, she thinks she's better than all of us. But no, I was really disconnected from the whole experience because I was scared. Yeah. And I had never talked about my feelings ever. So all of a sudden we're sitting in a group in a group room in a circle with green tea and meditations and saying, we're going to check in, talk about how we're feeling like that was so difficult for me. It was hard. <laughs> so anyway, I after two weeks, I decided with the therapist that I had there, she was amazing. I decided I got to start opening up or I'm not going to get my money's worth while I'm here. <laughs> and when I started that process, it was like the floodgates opened. I cried every single day. I was such a different person. I started to get really vulnerable and I started to actually think about why I was in treatment. I wasn't just drinking for fun anymore. I was drinking because I was in pain, because I was depressed, because I was anxious, because I had things that I hadn't dealt with. And in treatment, I finally started to feel safe about sharing about these experiences. And it was such treatment was such a game changer for me. Like, yeah. wow, I, I don't I truly don't think I would be alive today if I hadn't given myself the gift of rehab. Yep. Ditto. Yep. Same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is why I love so much what the two of you do is because, yeah, like holistic treatment, thinking about the bigger picture finding what works for you as a human being just works. Yeah. yeah, taking the time, getting vulnerable, confronting those issues that have been plaguing us our whole life. Like, I truly believe, and we hear this all the time, that people who do treatment are almost better off than people who've led a somewhat normal life but never had to confront you know, childhood traumas and different things like that. Because, you know, when you go to treatment, you can really take the time to dive in there and handle these things that have been plaguing you your whole life. Absolutely. And I mean, just having that safe space to just explore is really a cool thing. Um, so I ended up staying not 30 days, but 90 days nice. because I needed it. Yep. I'm sure they love that over there. That's like as a counselor, that's like a dream client. 
whenever a client <laughs> signs up to do more treatment, you're like, oh man, they are gonna make it. That's like the best indicator there is. Yes, I mean, I had a lot of, I didn't even just have one one counselor at the end, I had multiple. There you go. So I was even making friends with the staff. Um, and it was it was such a great experience. It was a hard experience, but it was great. And it changed a lot of things for me. So I had a job waiting for me when I got out and I just made the decision like, no, I'm going to give myself a break from work because I'm pretty good at work, but I'm not so good at life. Right. Good call. And I moved to Canada. Oh, wow. I left. I left everything in D.C., like my friends, my family, my apartment, and I just went to go live in a in the mountains in Cranbrook, British Columbia, which is a very small town, but beautiful. Like there's lakes, there's mountains, there's everything. Yeah, wow. And just give myself the gift of learning how to live life again. That is so I'm cool. not going to lie to you. It was hard in the beginning. I, you know, I did everything the treatment center said, get a counselor, find a sponsor, go to meetings. Um, but I did, I felt pretty lost leaving because I, I didn't have work anymore to kind of mold into. And I took a year off of work and that was, you know, there were days where I felt like I was clawing through life. Like I was still processing some of the trauma with my counselor that I had discovered while I was in rehab. I had to learn how to have fun again, like going snowboarding. I used to have fun because I was drinking through it, but now I had to do it sober and I had a meltdown on the mountain and it was really ugly. And like people around were like laughing at me and I was like, oh my God, sobriety, there's a lot to this. So after that first year, I went back to work as an event planner in British Columbia, but I wasn't feeling fulfilled. So I started to think about what else can I do? And I, I knew that I wanted to volunteer and to help other people on their journeys. And that's when I started to look at coaching because two years, this was two years in. So I started drawing out like different um, areas of my life that I had really, you know, gotten good at over the years. Like, mm -hmm. okay, I've learned how to have fun now. I've learned how to build a routine for myself. And then I started talking to a lot of happy, sober people people that were like, yeah, my life is so much better. I asked all of them to tell me their stories because I really wanted to understand how they got so happy. Like, yeah. what was it that they were doing that I could integrate into my own life? And uh, I started putting these pieces together and I, I went back to school again to get my recovery and life coaching certificate from the NET Institute. And I got really excited finally about this next part of my life because every time I helped somebody, I, you know, I felt great helping them, but it also helped me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I finally found purpose, right? Like, yep. so true. I had, yeah. You, you can't put a price on that. No. No, you can't. And I think, like, just to chime in, like, as a counselor myself, any bad day I ever had, the best way to fix it was to just forget about me and try to help somebody else. And it would, it would fix 99.9% .9 of the problems that I had in my own mind, which is strange. It's like, if I just help you and forget about my problems, I'll feel better, you know, <laughs> but it works. It does work, especially if it's your purpose. You know, when you're, you're doing anything that aligns with your purpose, you just automatically feel like it's right, no matter what yeah. it is. 
Oh, a million percent. And yeah. it doesn't even feel like work. No. Which is the best part. Yeah. <laughs> so when I, um, when I, you know, got my certificates, I started drawing out like a compass on my desk one day and I thought, okay, this is cool. I'm going to create a business called My Sober Compass and help people just get started on their journeys to finding like ways to live alcohol free, to finding their sobriety, etc. And I started working with people in the aftercare department, so people coming out of treatment from the place that I went to nice. and helping them just reintegrate into their everyday life. And that was really amazingly fun. Like I loved doing it and over the years my program started to evolve because I started teaching the same things over and over again, you know, and it was an interactive experience. So I was not the type of coach to like, look at somebody and say, here's what you're going to do for the week. I really was, I, I'm the type of coach to say, I'm going to walk beside you and we're going to figure out how to do this together in a way that makes sense for you because there's no one size fit all mm -hmm. to like making better choices for yourself. Like everyone is so different. Yeah. So a lot of people started coming to me, the people that, you know, they weren't feeling their best perhaps in the rooms or maybe they had, um, they, they read a post of mine that was like, you know, I really resonated with what you said about hiding and wearing different masks while you're in a work setting and not telling anybody what's really going on for you. So that's, that's how I, I kind of kicked off with my sober compass and it's been so amazing to work with so many different types of people um but people the commonality between them is people it's people that don't want to stay stuck yeah that see that next level version of themselves but they're not quite sure how to get there they just need a sounding board and they need to figure out like different options that they have to actually move forward in their life yeah and that's awesome because people need that's like the exact step you take after treatment it's like okay i just got my life together it's a very big like now what and now what do i do and how do i do it safely how do i not mess this next step up too so that's that's so cool that you can fall into that category of helping people take that next step i just i really like that idea yeah and i also like that getting sober is not the end goal that's just the beginning you know and i think a lot of people think that that's the end like if i get sober i've, I've tackled this thing but it's really not that's where you've got to now take it to the next level not just be satisfied with okay i'm sober but i'm miserable and i'm unhappy because you experienced that early on you could quit drinking and you could do all that but it didn't make you happy and it didn't make you do better in life oh no it and i wish you know, I think about even in my coaching, like I wish that I had had a coach back in the day to even start to open my mind to different possibilities. There was a couple of things that were going on. Like one, I was really disconnected from myself. Like I didn't even know who I was for, mm -hmm. for a few, many years. <laughs> <laughs> Two, like I didn't even know how to get connected with sober people. I, right. this is kind of a funny story, but I think I was 25 at the time. And I went into rehab at 28. I was 25 years old and I started noticing, yeah, this is not really making me feel my best, but I'm not sure what to do about it. And I went out to dinner with a really big group of my friends. And there was a girl who I didn't know there at the dinner and she came in and she sat down and she's like, hey, everybody, like, I'm not drinking tonight. And I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Nice. Cool. So 
you know, someone who's not, who's decided they're not going to have alcohol. Like I'm going to watch her. <laughs> and this poor soul, she sat there and she was so upset with herself. You could just see it on her face. She was miserable, right? Like she, when we were all getting drunk. So of course, I'm sure it's not the most fun thing for her to watch, but she stood up in the middle of the dinner and said, I can't be here anymore. I can't watch all of you drink. Like I'm leaving. Bye. Nice. And I watched her and I thought, if I if I decide to give up alcohol one day, I'm going to be miserable like that, right. you know, and I use that as an excuse for so many years that I can't do this because I saw her and, you know, she looked really unhappy. <laughs> yeah. The one instance just held on to that one, one instance. Yeah. Let yeah. alone all of these consequences that I'm facing of like, you know, perhaps losing my job or losing friendships, waking up with hangovers, losing my wallet, like doing falling on my face. Like there were so many different things that I had been going through, but no, this one thing. And I think that this is the power of our brains. Like mm -hmm. the brain is hugely powerful. It can rationalize anything. And I think it's such a trap. Oh yeah. It is. Man. I will say that's exactly what happened to me in one of the few meetings I went to. I looked at these people, looked up to or just saw that have been sober for a long time and they were talking about their stories and they were so miserable. I was like, first of all, I haven't done half that stuff. And second of all, if that's what sober looks like, that doesn't look fun for me. Like, why do I want to do that? Like, God, go have a drink already. Your life sucks. You know, it was like you said, your mind rationalizing your own behavior and making it OK to keep doing what you're doing. Yes, and it's, you know, I kind of laugh about it now because there was nobody stopping me from Googling happy, sober life. Right. I, like at any point in time, I could have done this. You get a million but I results. I chose not to. Yeah, I just, I, I guess I wasn't ready or it wasn't my time or whatever it is, but this mm -hmm. is also why I get extremely passionate about talking about alcohol-free living, recovery, whatever we want to call it now is because if I had maybe heard a little bit of something years ago, maybe that seed could have been planted earlier on. And we don't need to hit these massive rock bottoms to make change happen. Mm -hmm. I've heard people throughout the years say, oh, well, it's not, It's I've listened to your story, Ariel, and I didn't get suicidal, so I'm not sure yet, you know? And I just, I like to tell them, it. you don't have to hit a rock bottom to make a change. You don't have to tell yourself, you know, I'm going to be sober for the rest of my life. Like just start today with what you have now and start to experiment and think about things a little bit differently. And we'll, you know, we'll get there if you want. Like it just doesn't have to be this huge ominous thing straight off the bat. So, yeah, I love talking about that because it just, yeah, it's important. a lot of people out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like I love the kind of sober curious culture for that exact reason of it doesn't have to be as bad as it was for us three you know you don't have to wait to lose everything to realize that maybe this isn't working out yeah. you know i like that idea a lot yes there's and you know there's a lot of stigma around addiction in general yeah yeah and i think in terms of just thinking about things like one day at a time. I know that's the 12 step motto, but I love that motto because that's all you need to do. Even yeah. if it's one hour at a time, one minute at a time, just take life in littler, smaller pieces. 
Yeah, more manageable chunks. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was going to say, too, that I love the, the rationalization piece that you brought up. It's It's something I'll speak to a lot because I feel like when we're in addiction, that's like the biggest skill we develop is we just rationalize our behavior like for decades, for years, like all the quote unquote dumb shit that we did for decades. Like at one point we voluntarily decided to do those things. Like we had to get behind those ideas like for years, like we thought those were great. Like these are all amazing things to do. So it's like the skill we develop our strongest skill is like justifying or rationalizing bad ideas <laughs> you know so unlearning that like for me you and for a lot of clients that i see they get sober but they still have that skill of rationalizing bad ideas or bad behaviors or bad thought patterns and it's like one of the most difficult things to unlearn or start to change because now that we're sober like you were saying angie yes we're sober and if that's the goal then whatever else we do is a win but we have this terrible habit of making bad decisions or justifying these ideas or these plans or these thoughts. And that's kind of what steers us, you know, maybe into let's go to the bar and drink with uh, our sober friends, but I'll have a no duels. But since I'm sober, I'll be able to handle it and it won't trigger me and everything will be fine. <laughs> so it's just such a big speaking point, I think of. And uh, everyone needs like a coach or a therapist or a sponsor or somebody to help us navigate the way that we think. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I've been meaning to say something about that. Definitely. And I love that you brought up the, I like to call it the trifecta, right? The coach, the sponsor, the counselor. I think the commonality that I love to see if anyone is reaching out for help is talking to somebody who understands, like who gets it. And Mm -hmm. I heard this on another one of your podcasts that like 95% of your staff, Angie, it has walked the walk like they've lived it themselves yep is that still the stat that is yeah and it's so funny because in the beginning we used to think this was a weakness because people would say oh what do you guys know you're a bunch of former addicts and then i've realized in (laughs) you know the last 10 years that's our biggest strength because of those reasons we've been there we know how to push people harder hold them more accountable understand what they're going through it's just a whole different thing than having learned everything in a book and then telling them what you think based off of this you know criteria Uh, yeah this other education and degree that uh without ever actually having the experience of going through what we've all gone through oh my gosh it's ginormous it's huge and i started realizing this a couple of years ago with my sober compass like wow okay so people are getting a lot of value out of my story like this is interesting to me because i you know initially i just thought they're coming to me to learn tools right no they also want to hear about how that worked for me because i'm usually the first person that they've been able to have such open dialogue with and ask the scary questions to like you know how can i go to this wedding coming up or how can i tell my family that i'm really not doing well like these conversations have just been off limits to them before because they couldn't even touch them so for sure i really started to get behind this idea of peer coaching and this past year, I started working with an organization called Arlie, which is so incredible. So Arlie is a shared experience platform. So we have multiple coaches on here that are all peer based. 
Um, they've walked the walk, they've talked the talk, they've been in dark places, they've come out on the other side and they're sharing their stories, they're sharing the tools that work for them um, through audio clips, but you can also book them for coaching one-on-one. -on -one. Wow. And it gives people the chance to really think, to hear somebody's you know lived experience first and then say, wow, okay, I can really resonate with so-and-so, or maybe it's this other person that I can resonate with. but. Whatever they're saying, that that is speaking to me because let's be honest, we're all very different at the end of the day. Like we've all had different experiences. We've all grown up in different environments. We've all been through different traumas usually. Yeah. Um, so if you can find that person that resonates with you, like that is where the magic happens, I think. Is that uh, like an app? Is it a website? What, tell us a little more, like how, how do people find this? Yeah, so it's an app. Um, so you can download it in the Apple store um, or the Android store. You can also find us online. It's meetarly.com. Um, there's so much coming in the app. So we recently launched, but there's a lot of great things that we're doing right now. So yeah, you'll see a lot of great movement with the app coming up soon. But it's, you know, what I love to just talk about is all of these different audio version audio stories that are coming out in the app so you could we can help you at any stage of your journey like even if you're just at that baby beginning stage of mm -hmm. thinking oh i did it again like <laughs> why did i do this again and listen to somebody who's been there and say yeah i did that like i've lived groundhog day it is not a fun place to be and here are a couple of things that I learned from Groundhog Day Living. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so awesome. It sounds like too, there's like this, like meet your counselor or like meet your therapist or meet your coach type of experience. Um, yeah, so it's meet your coach. So it's a peer coaching experience. Yeah. So that, you know, and so it's based on peer coaching. So For sure. different styles of coaching, different, people with different stories who have different backgrounds, that sort of thing. Yeah. Sure, because sometimes people are more prone to like, oh, they had the same drug of choice as me, they understand, you know, you just drank, yes. you didn't do heroin, so you wouldn't be a good fit for me or whatever it is. So it sounds like you have a, a, a variety of different people that it can, it can help anybody with whatever their personal experience is. Absolutely, so it's not just focused on alcohol, like we, alcohol, drugs, or certain behaviors like gambling, pornography, yeah. things like that. Um, okay. Because I, I'm of the belief, yes, we can become addicted to multiple things. It's of course. Like, for me, it was alcohol, but it was also eating disorder. It was also relationships. Like I was full blown on the Tinder apps years ago, like trying to fill that void. You know, I was however we really can. <laughs> Yes. Whatever fills it, we like. Yeah. <laughs> That's why yeah. we put CrossFit into the program because we understand addicts. <laughs> like if we could channel that addictive behavior into something healthy, then, uh, you know, at least they'll have that. I love that. I mean, and it's such a good way to get those happy chemicals good, like back in your brain. Yeah. Exactly. I'm doing kickboxing right now and I nice. leave feeling so good. I just started a couple weeks ago, but pretty amazing no Love that's that. so cool i think one thing i wanted to say about the app or even though i don't know much about it but i love the idea of connecting or like you said meeting the coach and i just wanted to kind of share some experience of counseling people for the last seven years 
it doesn't really matter if I know the skills or the tools or how to help these people. If I can't connect with them or if they can't connect with me, they're never going to want to listen to how they could make progress. And it seems like it should be black and white, but it's not. So I think what I'm trying to say is the idea that the app helps people connect or make a decision to someone they want to listen to or want to connect with is is a, a great I don't want to say, I guess I'll say selling point for the lack of a better term, but it's far more important than maybe one would think. And seven years of counseling has proved that to me time and time and time again. It doesn't matter what I know or how much I want to help you if you don't care. Right. And that's why we provide, you know, we have different demographics. And so a lot of times a 60 year old alcoholic woman isn't going to want to talk to Dallas, but she'll talk to Carrie, our, our female, you know, counselor. So, you know, I, I love how you guys have a variety so that they will, like Dallas was saying, listen to and connect to what resonates with them. Absolutely. I mean, it's all about connection. Like you said, both of you said, you know, like it's one thing you know, I did get a lot of value um, when I was in rehab, like listening to lectures, but I really wanted that space to be able to share and reflect on, yeah, I've been there. Like I'm looking at this slide right now and this is me. This is, this yeah. is my life. Um, and having a coach or working with somebody one-on-one -on -one who's walked the walk, I think just makes all the difference because yeah, you can really have a deep, vulnerable, intricate conversation and you walk away feeling as a as a client feeling like, wow, I felt heard and understood. And they're walking back perhaps into a family dynamic or relationship where they can't have that same type of discussion. So true. All yeah. the time, not every time, but some of the time, right? Yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. More times than not. You just and if you trust that they get it, there's like this like unspoken bond, you know, where it's like you don't have to explain yourself too much if someone already understands or already gets it, you know. Like, uh, what did you say? You said, um, like the wedding thing, right? How I don't know how many times clients have been like, "What am I gonna do when my when I get married?" And I'm like, "We'll figure it out," you know. <laughs> like, it's okay. We'll get there. Mm -hmm. When are you getting married? They're like, I'm like, are you even in a relationship? They're like, no. They're <laughs> like, okay. Well, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Let's just get sober today first. And then we'll figure that part out, man. <laughs> this is it, though. Catastrophizing. Mm -hmm. yes. I'm not even sure if it's a real word. It is. It is. Yeah. That's a, that's a real, <laughs> okay, I use it so all the time. Yeah. <laughs> that can keep us so stuck. Oh, well. You know, I'm going to Bali in two years. Like, what am I supposed to do when I'm in Bali or the wedding thing? And Surf. you're right. Yeah, we just yeah. got to live in the moment and we'll get there. Mm -hmm. I think the momentum also of changing your life really helps. Like, you might not feel it straight off the bat. You're not going to probably feel your best, whether it's because of post-acute withdrawal, your brain's readjusting, whatever it is. But over time, I like to tell people like, yeah, you are going to feel a lot better. Just... Hold on, keep doing what you're doing, keep talking about what you're talking about, and we will get there together, like just one thing at a time. Do you have like a curriculum or like, I guess, tell me about kind of your game plan. Like I'm super interested in that and, and like where you try to take people. I know you, you hinted at like being customized and meeting mm -hmm. people where they're at, which I love, 
Um, is there more that you can expand on on that? Because I think it's just so interesting. Definitely. So with My Sober Compass, um, I offer like an exclusive one-on-one program with people that I work with. So awesome. essentially it's a three-month program. Okay, cool. Um, they work with me one-on-one weekly and it's very interactive. So they get you know a shared Google Drive with me. They get all their sessions recorded. And I cater each session based on the person where they're at. So I have, you know, a lot of different tools and and theories and teachings that I use, but really it's about me getting to know the person really well in that first discovery call that we do together, finding out if they're a good fit to work with me. So, you know, sometimes it's people that they're not quite needing rehab just yet. Like Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they could be heading in that direction, but I definitely don't pretend to be a rehab. Like that's not my my thing. Or I help people coming out of rehab that for sure. are perhaps walking back into a problematic environment or they're a, you know, a CEO or a CFO of a company and they're like, I don't want to tell anybody what just happened, but I, mm-hmm. I do want to make adjustments in my life. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, really working in a private confidential setting like over Zoom so they can do it anywhere. They don't yeah. have to be around anyone else and walking them through, yeah, just how to how to live life differently. Um, so I merged recovery coaching and life coaching together into this kind of neat little thing because we're not always gonna be in this crisis of I don't wanna drink. Like, you know, right. we kind of graduate from that mm-hmm. and then move into, well, what now? Like I actually almost named my company, um, so now what? <laughs> That's sketchy. <laughs> But I decided to go with my silver compass. But like, I felt that. Um. So now what? Like, I quit drinking. But now what do I do? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. So yeah, that it's it's and it it doesn't have to be this heavy thing. Like, I actually love working. All of my clients are so incredible. I love working with them. They're just people who want change for themselves and want to do it in a way that's fun and manageable and actually brings them like results. So I'll give them challenges every week to do. I'll give them homework, you know, like there's a lot of moving parts to it. Um, And at the end they graduate. Like my goal is not to work with people forever. My goal is to give them a launch pad into that and pivot the direction of their life into something different. So rehab is a huge pivot, coaching, counseling, all these different things can help people pivot. We don't, we're not saying you have to change every part of who you are. Just pivot. Yeah. Well, I think it's good because I know a lot of what we teach people and, and firmly what I believe is if you're not improving, you're declining. Nobody's staying the same ever. And so I think even just little steps of consistent improvement will ensure there's not a decline going down the other side. And it's a lifelong journey. It's not like, oh, I did rehab. I'm fixed. I'm done. Now I'm, I can just be normal. <laughs> it's like we continue to work on and firmly believe you just got to keep working on yourself. It's not a one and done. It is a lifelong journey. And that's part of the, you know, adventure and the fun of it. Yes. And the lifelong journey part is not like a sentence of saying, oh, well, you're going to have to live in this box and not socialize and be alone. It's the complete opposite. Like when I think about where I was back in my alcohol addiction, I was very alone with myself and very shallow and I was literally a shell of a person just trying to survive. And now on the other side of where I am today, 
I pick good people to be around. I get connected. I do fun things. Like I actually live and I go on adventures. Like I didn't have that opportunity before. So there's a lot of great things for anyone who's listening. If you haven't like stepped over or, you know, maybe you're putting your toe on the other side, just know that it's pretty great over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it also requires, you know, you to participate. You can't just watch or sit by and expect and hope for it to happen. Um, but that's okay. You know, anything that's worth worth having, you have to be willing to put in the work to get it. Because if it just comes, you just don't appreciate it. And so I think it's, you know, it's just another really valuable life lesson of the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. Yes, I, I definitely agree with you, Angie. It's that quote, we're either working on a recovery or we're working on a relapse. Yeah, that's true. You got to tip the scale there, right? Yeah. Right. I like the uh, recoveries walking up a down escalator. That's my favorite one because it just paints such a visual where if you're not running up that escalator going down, you're going down. If you're walking, have you ever walked up an escalator going down? Right. Yes. If you walk up it going down, you're still going down. So it's kind of like you got to run or we're, we're, you know, we're going backwards. People like that one sometimes because it's you can relate to it physically. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. man, because you got to sprint up that escalator to get up that thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's such a good visual. And this is also something that Arlie, like we're very passionate about. Like you don't have to make these huge changes straight off the bat. You can make small changes, you know, like yeah. just, just start small and you can start at any time. Like to have something that's 24 seven to just dig into, like, you know, in those moments where you're not feeling your best or you've just come out of something, you know, it's just something that I really wish I would have had back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Have you ever read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear? I just ordered it. Oh, nice. Okay, good. Tell me about it. What it cuz I had two people tell me about this the past month. So, the things that I really liked, I I so I read the book for myself cuz I love, you know, self-improvement, personal growth. Um, it's kind of hard not to when you're in this space. But the things that I found that were very like relatable or shareable was one, exactly what you said. If you're going to make a change, you should start very small and like losing one pound a week rather than like I need to lose 70 pounds by the end of the month. Essentially, we like set ourselves up for failure with creating these crazy lofty goals and then we don't achieve them and then we get stuck and we hate it. So like breaking a goal down into the just like the tiny little details of I'm going to do 10, I'm going to do two pushups every day. And if I can do two pushups every day, then I'll do four and then six. And the next thing you know, you're a guy or a girl that does pushups every day. Now you become a person that works out every day. And the idea of being someone that works out every day is far more productive than how much pounds you lost. So that, that was like a really cool, like shareable idea with, with clients and people in recovery that it's more about making a habit of being the person you want to be rather than getting to where you want to be. Like being that person feels just as good as getting that goal. And then habit stacking was really cool about that book too, where you start doing something you want to do during a time you're already doing something. 
So great ones were like going to the bathroom, brushing your teeth, doing your laundry. Like basically the author started doing push-ups and air squats every time he went to the bathroom. And so he just, and he said he still does it to this day, like 20 years later. He says, if the floor is very dirty, he does air squats. If the floor is very clean, he'll do push-ups every time when he's done going to the bathroom. Yeah, one thing that I started doing after reading that is gr- uh, gratitude when brushing your teeth. Because you're, most of us are brushing our teeth, you know, twice a day. And it's a good time to just like sit and practice gratitude while you're already brushing your teeth because that's something you're already going to do. Yeah, that's a good one too. I love that. I'm going to start that today. It's a that's kick-ass a book. Yeah. He just languages cool. things in a way where you're like, oh man, that makes sense, you know? He just he speaks well. He makes it very simple and it's like very tangible, which I love. I love that about a book. Cuz I'm just like, dude, tell me how to do it and I'll do it. Make it make sense to me and I'll be your biggest fan, you know? Yes, and I think this is what for people that I see that are, you know, hugely successful in life after, you know, they've been down this dark path, is that they're open to learning and trying new things. Yeah so helpful when you get into that mindset of like I can rather than I can't oh yeah yeah and yeah I say I think same with with drinking and drugs like every time a client would graduate our program I'd always tell them there's only two things you can't do and that's drink and do drugs everything else you can do right rather than like the inverse of like oh my god I can't drink and I can't do drugs it's like, yeah, but you can literally do anything else. I mean, I guess within a certain box. Yeah. But for the most <laughs> part, like the idea of there's 20 trillion things you can do. There's just two things you shouldn't do. And if you can look at it in a sense of there's so much I can do rather than like tunnel vision, like I can't drink, I can't do drugs, I can't drink, I can't do drugs. It feels a lot better. Like, okay, well, what else could I do? I could do anything. For sure. It's, yes, it's ginormous. And I think even it's probably so pivotal that you have that conversation with them right before they leave. It's the last because, thing Because, uh, yeah, and get rid of that, you know, like I went through it too, that victim mentality of like, oh, well, you know, I'm stepping out of here and yeah, but really I was stepping into the next level version of myself and like mm-hmm. giving myself a real chance at living again. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah, and it's not about what you lost or gave up. It's what you've gained and you have now going forward. It's just switching that mindset. One thing I wanted to say. It's a reframe. Exactly. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's like reframe sobriety before you leave. You know, it's kick ass. But uh, one thing I wanted to say, too, that I thought was so cool is like I, I got sober in a very like AA community and I, and I've seen, and I wonder if you guys relate to this, but I would go to a meeting and I would only get whatever was offered up. Like if there was somebody's story, hopefully I could connect with them and like take something from their story. But very rarely was I given solutions or tools or skills to like navigate what I was going through. I had a couple sponsors and like, the sponsor was like uh luck of the draw right i don't know this person like i am only going to get 
what they can offer. And I guess my big point is I got sick of like taking a chance on like, okay, hopefully I can get something. Hopefully this person can save me. Hopefully there's something that can be helpful. I love the idea that there's recovery coaches. Like there's people that are actually like, hey, this is what I do. It's almost like to me, it's like a sponsor on steroids. And I really believe that when someone pays for a service, they're way more committed. So the fact that like the sponsorship is free and like you only get what you paid for. And that was totally my experience with sponsorships and in 12 step meetings is I got what I paid for, which was nothing. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, it just kind of like cut and dry. That was my experience. So the idea that there's someone like you and there's a program out there with curriculum, like you're saying, gets me really excited. Like, I think that's such a cool thing. And I wanted to say that to you. Yeah. And and I'll just chime in. Of course. I'll just chime in that um, out of the few meetings I went to, I never got that connection. And I think that's why that modality never worked for me. I just more like used it as a means of saying, well, I'm not like that. And that wasn't me. And I wasn't that bad. And that looks terrible. And so I never got that connection. So that modality never resonated with me. And therefore, I didn't, uh, you know, get sober with it. Besides the, you know, the victim, you know, you are powerless there was just a few things about it but definitely i didn't get that connection there was people that wanted to help you know i was a female walking into a group and the females want to kind of protect the newer girls so i enjoyed that like they wanted to take care of me kind of aspect but i also just there was nothing i heard in the meetings i went to that made me go okay you're right this 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 is going to work for me i love talking about this subject too because there's a lot of confusion out there about the difference between coaching and sponsorship, Mm -hmm. like a ton. I get questions all the time. You know, I actually, a lot of people think that coaches are in competition with sponsorship, but the way that I like to talk to people about it is think about a coach as someone who can connect you to all of the things that are moving around in that bigger picture. So if you were to have a conversation with a coach and say, yeah, I've been thinking about going to a 12 step meeting in my belief, your coach should absolutely support you to do that. Like if that's the route that you want to go and your coach should be able to speak to some of the strengths of the 12 step program or a refuge or a smart -hmm. recovery or whatever it is, and just be that connector. Because what I, what I love to see is just, there's a lot of, you know, we can get stuck in our heads in early sobriety or yeah. when we've made that change earlier on and say and talk ourselves out of trying things. But I truly do think a good coach will be able to connect you and just have a conversation about, yeah, this was my experience at this program. And these are the benefits that sponsorship could add to you. You know, maybe you had a bad experience at a meeting, but you can always try a different meeting, like things like that. So just it's not like painting it. Not everything has to be positive, I guess. I don't want to yeah. sound like, you know, I've got to paint this positive picture about every single thing, but I think just bridging that gap to try new things is a a good quality of like a high 
performance coach, like somebody that would probably be really good to work with somebody. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the difference, too, is we're all open and I'm all for and supportive of any modality that helps somebody get better and stay sober. And I think, unfortunately, with different modalities, it's my way or no way. You can't possibly get sober doing that. Or if you don't do all these steps, you will relapse. And so um, I think if we can start to change uh, you know, not just how we operate, but get uh, other modalities to be more open to there is other ways and there is other other means of handling uh, and getting sober. We'd be able to reach more people because there is no one size fits all. Um, yeah, so much. And this is one of the things that, um, you know, in terms of like all the coaches that I'm working with now, we don't have like we don't set expectations on members who come in to work with us like it's not you don't have to be sober to work with us like we want you to talk about everything that's happening for you not set pressure on you you're already pressuring yourself enough probably to make changes happen and just say whatever you're going through we're gonna be there for you like this just talk to us about what's happening for you because there is no such thing as failure with Arlie. Like there isn't like, just come to us and have a chat with us and we'll be there for you. Like, cause yeah. you know, the, in terms of like, even if you think about relapse, it, it's a high number and that's okay because I like to say people go, are going back out doing their field research and hopefully mm-hmm. coming back. Like they, they had something else that they needed to go learn. Yeah. And then they came it's back. True. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I mean, Kind of like you said, if someone is like participating on the app or someone is like continuing to show up and say, hey, I relapsed, they're they're still fighting, you know, and that's the goal is that we're continuing to stand up. We're continuing to take like mindful action, you know, like we're we're still participating and getting sober. So the fact that they relapsed or that something they didn't get the outcome that they wanted, it's totally okay because they're still trying and they're going to figure it out. And we're still going to help you navigate that. So I'm glad you said that. That's beautiful. It's the truth. Like, and I just, I've seen so many people in the past five, six years now just come to me. They're so beaten down and they don't feel their best because they've not been able to make the changes that they've set for themselves. Like those high expectations of like, you know, even I think back to my own story, like I, I truly believed I was never going to drink again that first time that I white knuckled. And when I did drink, I hated myself Mm -hmm. with every part of me. And that was so uncomfortable and I didn't have anyone to talk to about that. So, and then that just compounds the shame and blame and regret and all the things that go with doing things we know we shouldn't be doing and are doing. Yes. And that fuels whatever we're doing even more. Like we want to numb out of those feelings because they're so brutal and uncomfortable and painful. Yeah. So true. Well, I was curious, is there any way that we at Elevate or us, Angie and I, can support My Sober Compass or Arlie or anything like that? I definitely plan on, you know, putting all that stuff in our show notes. And I think we've done an amazing job highlighting, A, your story, but B, what you do for the world. And that's so awesome. But is there anything else that we could do to help support you in in kind of your journey? This is the exciting part because I believe that moving forward into the future, there's a lot of different ways that we can support each other. 
One of the great things about the Arly app is that it's 24 seven support. We help people at all stages of their journey and it's just a quick download and you can start to listen immediately to audio guides. And I just love what you are doing at Elevate because you are helping people step out of their lives, step into a holistic treatment center, make better changes for themselves, have so many realizations and ultimately leave in a much different state as a much different person. And I just, I'm so looking forward to seeing how we can all work together because this is where the magic's at. We're a common group of people who want to help other people feel their best. And that is where I feel like the strength lies that we can all do this together, that we can be there for each other and that we can connect on such a deep, vulnerable, intimate and ultimately bettering level. So I'm really excited about seeing what we can do together in the future. And I just want to thank you both for this time. For sure. I like that. Yeah, for sure. I will say, I think the biggest silver lining of the of the pandemic has been the ability to do, you know, uh, Zoom podcasts and see people and then also and you probably agree with this is even just being able to coach you know it used to be that you would have to come to my office live locally let's talk about this and now you can reach people all across the united states even into canada uh, very (laughs) easily through just zoom and so that just opens up the sphere of who you can help and how you can help them it just really opened the door i think to a lot of good things uh, which has been like a really nice silver lining of all of this Yes. I mean, global coaching. This is what I, I actually was, (laughs) I wrote down international coach experience, you know, because this is truly what's happening right now. And I've got coaches on the Arley platform in Australia and Canada Mm -hmm. and the U S like we're growing rapidly and addiction and alcohol and drugs and certain behaviors, like it's worldwide. So why would we not offer help worldwide for people? That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's everywhere. So. <laughs> so a lot of moving parts moving forward, but I just really appreciate you all having me on here. Like this has been such a great hour together. Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent. I've had a lot of fun. This is my favorite topic to talk about <laughs> addiction. <laughs> and I love connecting with people that have dedicated their life to it you know like to me there's nothing cooler than that so i i I agree that this has been amazing and i look forward to following you on 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 this journey this is exciting yeah yeah and and i definitely appreciate all the content you put out because uh you know i agree there's going to be something that you put out that just resonates with somebody where they're like yes that makes sense to me so um yeah i love i love your content thank you for that as well Oh, thank you so much. So yeah, so there's two places actually that you can find the con- like my content or our content. So it's at my sober compass or the other Instagram for Arlie is at meet Arlie. So there's two different places now. Um, but there's yes, I this this call for me, the theme has been connection and mm-hmm. support through connection. Like Find somebody who you gel with, who inspires you, who's maybe a couple of steps ahead of you and and work with them. Like talk to them, have that initial conversation with them and just, it'll help you pivot so quickly. (laughs) Just start. Doesn't have to be a huge, huge leap, but just start, even if it's small. I love that. Perfect. I love that. The best advice is always the most simple advice. Just do it. 
Just get started. <laughs> <laughs> Just do it. It's there too you simple. Go. People are like, no, no, no. It can't be that easy. No. <laughs> People hate that advice, but it's the truth, and it works, and it's it, it really does. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show. You've been such a, a pleasure to talk to. Uh, definitely like-minded in, in our uh, approaches and, and philosophies and theories, and so I really, uh, I really did enjoy talking with you today. Thank you. Thanks, Angie. And thank you, Dallas. Also, this has been really fun. I really appreciate your time. Likewise. And uh, we'll stay connected. I, I look forward to that. Sounds great. All right. Well, hey, enjoy the rest of the day. And uh, hopefully we'll all talk soon. All right. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thank Thanks. you. All right, guys. That's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening. And if you did, please share with someone you know or love. You can find us on social media. We are at Elevate Addiction Services. And if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org.